You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. And hello, welcome back, everybody. Good to have you with us here on the Announcer Schedule Podcast, episode number 14. Mike Gill, Phil DeMont Mullen at Announcer Skeds. We're set to bring you week one of the NFL season this Sunday and a review of all the college football week number one. Got a great guest for you today. Looking forward to the Hall of Fame boxing play-by-player. Barry Tompkins is going to join us today, uh, this week, I should say, on the Announcer Schedule podcast. Like, rate, review, subscribe, share us all over the place. But make sure you spread the word. If you like play-by-players, announcers, analysts, sideline reporters, this football season, this is the place for you. Phil, football is here. We got games to look back at. I got my notebook out. We got the games this weekend. And Barry Tompkins, I'm looking forward to that. Man, I am so excited about this week's show. Barry Tompkins was honestly one of my favorite announcers Growing up, you know, in the in the eighties and in nineties, I would stay up late to watch him uh, on Big Monday uh, call the Big West game, which gets pretty late over here on the East Coast when you're when you're getting that deep into the night. But if you're a college basketball junkie, you're all over it, and I can't wait to talk to Barry Tompkins. What an amazing career! Uh, also, very prolific on the the boxing side. Of course, but uh, we I can't wait to, to speak with Barry. And yeah, I mean, exciting times. College football is underway, no doubt about that. And then NFL is upon us. Yeah, by the way, Barry is uh, a part of Showbox, which is coming to my area, Atlantic City, uh, which is the longest running boxing series continuously. And uh, he is still the voice of Showbox. They're going to be in Atlantic City this weekend. So Barry will talk about his Hall of Fame boxing career, of course, uh, he was the voice of Rocky Four, Drago and Rocky. He was the voice of that fight, which was uh, on the quote-unquote USA Network. Uh, can you imagine a heavyweight championship fight was on USA Network? Rocky and Drago, Barry Tompkins was on the call. We'll ask him about that. We're on the Sports Media Watch feed. You can get us. Uh, we usually drop on Thursdays, uh, so make sure you like, rate, review, and subscribe to the channel so you can get that a little alert. When the announcer schedule podcast is live, Greg Gumble is on this week. Tell me a story. 
I don't know. George Offman uh, recorded that one with him. I already listened to it. That one's already in my head. And Gumble, if you remember, used to call um, uh, college basketball with Quinn Buckner. And I have a feeling a Quinn Buckner will make an appearance on today's show. Gumble and Buckner were the, a great team. People forget, and Buckner might make a appearance on today's podcast. Yeah, and Gumble. If you're going to watch the NFL this weekend, which I'd imagine a lot of our listeners will, will be on the call for Patriots Dolphins. So still going strong on the the NFL play by play side as well. He's done it all: uh, NBA, college basketball. He's still uh, the NCAA tournament. I mean, that show. He's a staple of that. He did the NBA, I believe, on CBS and NBC. And uh, college basketball, he was the number one play-by-player, right? For uh, and then him and Nance kind of flip-flopped. And now that's he's... right. And you, and, you, and you mentioned the NBA. In addition, you know, to to Quinn Buckner being his partner uh, at times over the years, especially on the the NCA side. On the NBA side, he he worked on some of those NBC broadcasts with Bill Walton. And you know, we talked to Roxy Bernstein as far as the challenge of uh, being Walton's partner, but uh, Gumble was able to handle that role as well. That's right. If you missed our conversation, Roxy Bernstein, uh, Bob Wischusen. Uh, John Forslin, we've got a bunch of uh, Kevin Kugler as we get you ready for the season. We've got some already Larry Colmus, uh, the horse racing uh, play-by-player. We've got a ton of great interviews already, but we're at episode 14. Barry Tompkins later, but right now, let's get into the topics for the week. The NFL is upon us, week number one, Thursday Night Football. We'll kick it off. Mike Tirico, Chris Collinsworth, Melissa Stark on the sideline. That'll be an NBC game next Thursday. We get Al Michaels and uh, Kirk Herbstreet. Yeah, that's right. So don't tune into Amazon Prime. You know, NBC is your home for NFL this Thursday. And, you know, it's that the first game of that crew. You know, Tariko and Collinsworth have worked together before. Uh, Melissa Stark um, will make her regular season debut on the sidelines. I mean, they, they did have a, a preseason game or two. So uh, Bills and Chargers starting things off, and it should be a lot of excitement. Um, oh, check that Rams, actually. So getting the Los Angeles teams mixed up. But Bills-Rams on Thursday, getting things started. And, uh, yeah, Thursday night. And then, like you said, Amazon Prime with Michaels and Herb Street. They'll kick off next week for Chiefs and Chargers. So, um, that's your next couple of Thursday nights, and that'll get us going with the, the regular season of the NFL beginning this Thursday. Okay, uh, Phil, why don't we run down the Sunday slate for all the uh, listeners out there. What do we have, CBS and Fox, uh, for week one? Who do we have? Yeah, so obviously a ton of uh, 1 o'clock games per usual, a grand total of nine of them, uh, five on CBS, four on Fox Uh, Steelers and Bengals, you know, a big chunk of the country will be getting that at 1 PM on Sunday. Um, Ian Eagle, Charles Davis, Evan Washburn. So a real solid crew there. Uh, We mentioned uh, Greg Gumbel on the Patriots Dolphins call. Tom McCarthy uh, will be on the uh, Indianapolis Houston game. Um, Andrew Catalan, along with James Lofton on the, uh, Ravens, Jets, and Spiro Deeds, and uh, Jay Feely on uh, Cleveland, Carolina. Then the Fox games, Niners, Bears, uh, you know, that's the first game with Joe Davis in sort of this, you know, new slot for him uh, where he's handling play-by-play. Daryl Johnston on analyst, Pam Oliver, veteran sideline reporter for that one. Um, 
Philly, Detroit, Adam Amin, Mark Schlereth, and Christina Pink, Saints, Falcons, Kenny Albert, Jonathan Vilma, and Shannon Spake. Solid crew there. And the venerable Chris Myers will be on the uh, Jacksonville, Washington game. Uh, so looking forward to that one as well. So th- there's your one o'clock games. And then there's four more at, at 425. Uh, Nance, Romo, and Wolfson on um, KC, Arizona. Kevin Harlan, Trent Green on um, the Raiders game. Burkhart in Olsen in Andrews, which is that new number one Fox team that is highly anticipated. They'll be on Green Bay, Minnesota. Tom Rinaldi on the sidelines as well. And then finally, Giants and Titans, as far as rounding out those 425 games, our buddy Kevin Kugler along with Mark Sanchez. If you missed Kevin Kugler, he was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. And then, of course, uh, Tariko Collinsworth-Stark will get their second game of the week. Uh, they do Thursday. They'll also do Sunday. And then we'll get our first look at the new uh, ESPN Buck, Aikman, and Lisa Salters crew. Yeah, that's right. So Bucks at Cowboys on Sunday night, uh, an- another game for Tariko Collinsworth and Stark. Our buddy uh, TJ Reeves, our partner here on the Sports Media Watch podcast, will be at that game as well. He handles you know sidelines for Bucks radio and then monday night uh the you know the the debut they they did a dress rehearsal a couple weeks ago at another preseason game um at seattle you know so i think i don't think that was coincidence necessarily because they're able to test probably a lot of systems and booth location and all that as well but broncos at seahawks buck aikman and saunters uh the the new look and the the big time booth for Monday Night Football. Yeah, I think uh, they'll be fine together. Something tells me they'll be A-OK. All right, NFL Week 1. You mentioned uh, Tom McCarthy Sunday. That must mean uh, someone else will handle his Phillies game on Sunday. I would imagine Greg Murphy uh, is generally the fill-in, or they go Scott Fransky from the radio side. So Tom McCarthy Phillies will need a guy for Sunday's game uh, there because he's on the NFL game, as uh, Phil just mentioned. Okay. College football week one. I uh, took some notes on a couple. I have West Virginia Pitt um, and a couple other thoughts and notes, but uh, let's get kind of a look back at week one. Yeah, you know, it's we had week zero, which was, you know, frankly a um, mediocre slate of games in terms of the matchups and that kind of thing. It was fun to get things started, especially that game in, in Ireland. But then week one hits, and there, there were some big matchups across Labor Day weekend, and it you know got started on on Thursday. The backyard brawl, West Virginia Pitt, uh, Matt Barry, Lewis Riddick, and Harry Lyles Jr. I believe that's one of the ones you you watch closely, Mike. No no surprise there, right? West Virginia. I did. I thought Riddick was very fair and unbiased as a Pitt guy. You know, a lot of people get on Aikman when he does the Cowboys. Ah, he's biased towards the Cowboys. Although I don't really feel that way generally. Um, I thought Riddick was very fair and unbiased. Uh, I thought Barry did a good job. I haven't heard him do a whole heck of a lot of play-by-play. I will say he made a couple references. He said WVU is in the Big 12 and hasn't seen a fullback since the Carter administration. Well, they've only been in the Big 12 since 2012. They were in the Big East for 21 years. And let me tell you, I watched Mike Allstott run all over them one day. That's a fullback, and that was in the last 20 years. So, um, that, you know, a couple references there. I thought Harry Lyles seemed a little nervous at halftime. You know, the coach Narducci came on. He said, hey, we're here with the coach. Coach, it was almost like he got so nervous he forgot who he was talking to. Uh, so that was just an observation at halftime. And I think that was Harry Lyles' first uh, role as a halftime guy. Yeah, I, you know, I think they, they might have 
gotten Lyles in the rotation a little bit last year to get him some some reps. Um, certainly in this role, as far as ESPN Thursday Night Football, which over the years, you know, that's a that's a big deal. That's oh, yeah. a big assignment, a big slot. Uh, Barry, you know, does great. I mean, he is, you know, a, to me, one of the authorities in a lot of ways for college football in general. You know, he does great work with these studio shows on the weekends, you know, with Joey Galloway and Jesse Palmer. Um, you know, I, I kind of consider that sort of appointment viewing uh, on Sunday mornings as far as catching up, as far as the the Saturday college football slate. Uh, but, you know, he, he does some play-by-play as well. And, and certainly, you know, ESPN is investing in this team as far as the Thursday night crew. And, you know, first time around, and I'm sure they'll continue to get better throughout the season. Yeah, uh, good game, though. Fun game. Matt Barry, I liked uh, social media afterwards saying about how much fun he had and how that's what college football should be. So Barry Riddick, Lyles Jr., Thursday night, looks like uh, a fun team for the ESPN college football. What was your take, Mike, on just the backyard brawl in general? As far you know, it, there was a bit of a hiatus there for a while, oh. and now back, and, and it seemed like a ton of excitement. What was your feel, you know, being close to that rivalry? Yeah, I mean, I went to WVU, so I was excited. It's been, uh, I think, eleven years since the last time they played. You know, I, a little interesting side note on that: the ratings for the game were, were outstanding, and I'm sure uh, TJ and John will talk more about that on the Sports Media Watch. But you know, people don't realize. They were up against Penn State Purdue. That was the game that was acquired by Fox in the trade for Joe Buck. Because my buddy said to me the other day, "Oh, why would you know they put the Penn State Purdue game on?" I said, "Well, because that's what they traded. That was why that game was on there. It was acquired for Joe Buck." But I thought they did a good job with the feeling of the game and and the rivalry and how important it is and you know what it means to. Uh, that that area, and I think they really did a good job of trying to get a very local rivalry, a backyard brawl, into a more national feel. You know, they tried to show the country that you can get on board with this with this rivalry here. And um, you know, I thought Barry did a good job with that, and and, and I thought Riddick did it was very unbiased. He, he criticized Pitt at times. You know, maybe his Pitt. Uh, background came out and he wanted them to do certain things, but I thought he was critical when he needed to be not too harsh, but I, I, I like that team for that game. Yeah. The, the, the great observations there, no doubt. And you're right. Penn state Purdue over on Fox. And then there was a, even a game on FS one too, that probably, you know, attracted some viewers also central Michigan, Oklahoma state. That was Jason Benetti and Brock Heward uh, once again on the call there. Uh, so there was a lot going on that night for, for a Thursday night, uh, Penn State, Purdue, Gus Johnson, Joel Klatt, and Jenny Taft. So, you know, we uh, Fox viewers are able to to finally see Gus Johnson, you know, and uh, great to, to see him back at it. And, yeah, just uh, a cool way to start off uh, the week one of the college football season with that slate of games on Thursday. Yep, and then uh, we had this, the Saturday slate, really that first Saturday slate uh, of the year, Phil. So why don't we uh, kind of take the people through some of the Saturday games uh, and some of the things we saw there. Well, the first one that really got my attention was one of the, you know, one of the first games to kick off on on Saturday noon over on ABC, Colorado State at Michigan in the Big House. Uh, Mark Jones on play by play, Robert Griffin the third, who who got started uh, with his broadcasting career last year on analyst, and then Quick Kucinich, who's a, a veteran down there on the sidelines, and they did some creative things with uh, RG three uh especially this live hit during the 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 open of the broadcast 
Mark, I've played a lot of football, but I've never experienced anything quite like this. This is the big house. There's no light shows, no pumped-in crowd noise for introductions. Just this tunnel that both teams have to walk down to get to the field. Think of all the names, the great names, the Charles Woodson's, the Desmond Howards, all the way to Aiden Hutchinson that have made this walk. From darkness to light, you can hear the echoes of greatness off the walls. You can feel the roar of the crowd. Raise the hairs on your arm. A lot of things about this building change, but not this. In 143 years of Michigan football, a lot of memories have been made, and a lot of them on this very field. Today we find out who's ready to make the next one. All right, uh, not easy to do what RG3 did there. Walk down the tunnel with the team bouncing off your shoulders in the energy of that place, uh, really encapsulated uh, the vibe and the energy of what it means to walk out onto the field at the big house. Yeah, kind of, kind of a cool way to, to open the broadcast, really bringing in that feel and, you know, so kind of authentic as far as you know, what RG3 was feeling. But he also said it was such authority, almost like, you know, uh, yeah, we, we're we're talking to a boxing announcer later, Barry Tom, because it was sort of like that boxing feel, that that sort of big time, you know. Hey, we're here and and ready for for some serious lights, camera, action. RG three then showed some athleticism because he hustled up to the booth right after that and uh, arrived in the booth. Uh, and they ESPN did a kind of a cool job as far as. Uh, this happening in real time where, you know, uh, RG3 gets settled in the booth and they've got to get his, uh, you know, headset straight and all that. And Mark Jones notices that he's sweating because he basically sprinted from the tunnel um, up to the booth in a suit. And, uh, you know, Jones played off that a little bit, you know, kind of helped him out with getting some of that sweat off his brow. And then they were <laughs> off and running. But RG3 continued, like he tweeted a couple of times, um, you know, through later in the day, like just how blown away he really was by the big house yeah. in, in that environment there. He did have one uh, one flub that came up, I guess, during the game that has uh, kind of caught the social media airwaves. But other than that, uh, I think RG3 is a rising star in that job as, as analyst. I, I really I watched a little bit of that game, not, not a whole heck of a lot, uh, because I was actually on our next game, uh, NC State, East Carolina. My girlfriend is an ECU alum, and this was – you know, North Carolina State's having one of the most anticipated seasons in a while, maybe their history, and East Carolina, you know, they, they're just kind of a disruptor, um, but uh, this was an interesting broadcast. I, I, I tweeted, that I thought uh, Anish Sheroff was, I thought it was Steve Levy at first. He has a very Steve Levy sound and delivery. Do you, do you agree? Yeah, that's not the first time that's been mentioned. In fact, Anish has some fun with it because so many people have mentioned it to him over the years. Uh, You know, I've worked with Anish in the past and just a great guy. You know, he's now um, also the voice of the Panthers, uh, Carolina Panthers radio network on Sundays. So he'll be doing a a college football game every Saturday for ESPN and then, you know, the Panthers on Sundays. It was also the debut of Brock Osweiler, you know, in that analyst role. Um, Lauren Sisler down on the sidelines. And, you know, I've worked a NC State at East Carolina game myself um, a a number of years back. And this is one of those sort of sleeper rivalries. Oh, yeah. I mean, these schools aren't located all that far apart. 83 miles. 
And there is some serious angst between the two fan bases. East Carolina feels like, you know, they just get stepped on left and right in zero respect. And when they have a chance to maybe knock off an NC State at their place, they're going to turn out in a big way. So a huge environment there. And this game went down to the wire. NC State 21, East Carolina 20. So what a game. The field goal kicker missed an extra point to win the game. And then they got a chance to to win the game again on a 41-yarder. And he missed that too. Um, I was at a game, East Carolina Navy, last year in Annapolis, and the same kid, a freshman, kicked a 54-yarder to win the game. So East Carolina obviously felt confident that, hey, we've got a guy who can make the big kick. He misses an extra point and a 41-yarder in the same game. Yeah, and this might be a, you know, a bit of a theme for us, not just through this show, but you know, throughout football season. I think as much as anything, you know, the single most important thing for any given broadcast is that it's a competitive game all the way to the final whistle. Yeah. And when you have games like this with these big dramatic moments and, you know, the crescendo come the fourth quarter and all sorts of excitement, it makes the broadcast that much, you know, better just from the the sake of it being a great game. And, you know, more people are tuning in, of course, and that kind of thing. But, you know, the chance to call these big moments and to – you know, experience that drama as opposed to the flip side when they, when the game's a blowout, yeah. you know, it's tough, tough to, you know, to, to keep the attention of the viewers. And so Schroff, Osweiler and Sisler in their, you know, um, debut here, NC state ECU certainly got, um, you know, dealt a, a great hand as far as a, an exciting game to the finish. Well, when that game ended, I flipped to North Carolina, Appalachian state, you talk about a finish, uh, boy, 42, 21 people are leaving, the Boone building out there in Appalachian State, and you flip over to that, and it was a wild one. In fact, I was yelling and screaming at the TV. There was a a pretty big mistake in the game by Mark Neely. I, I got to call him out. I'm sorry. This is what the announcer schedule podcast. Uh, I was screaming at the TV when he did this, and my girlfriend was sitting there. She says, what are you talking about? I said, first off, the guy should not have returned the onside's kick for a touchdown. He needs to get down. She said, well, he scored. I said, yeah. But he's given the other team a chance to get the ball back and tie the game up. Well, Neely said when the extra point was kicked that it's a two-score game and that'll do it. And I said, oh, that is a a major mistake in that game, especially 63-61 with all the scoring back and forth. You don't people clicking off the TV thinking that that game was over. And, of course, it wasn't because App State went down and scored uh, to make it 63-61. They had to go for two. They missed it, but... Uh, that was a mathematical error at the end of that game that really um, was a was a mistake. Yeah, and you know that that's a tough spot when something like that happens. And you know, I guess I wasn't watching the broadcast or wasn't able to listen. I had I was working a game myself and had it up uh, without volume. You know that when you're when you something like that happens, it's sort of the responsibility of the producers, maybe even the other people in the booth to point it out. And then you can make a quick correction. If you're the, the play-by-play announcer, um, there's always that, that opportunity, you know, m- mistakes happen for everybody. That's for sure. But, um, but what a game, Holy smokes. You know, there were 62 points scored in the fourth quarter alone. App state I'm, seven touchdowns in the fourth quarter and they lost. Unbelievable. 63-61 North Carolina. The environment up, you know, this is my part of the country up here. I'm not that far from from Boone, North Carolina, up, up here in the Asheville area. And the excitement level at App State was off the charts. 
you know, uh, having the, you know, the big state school in North Carolina come visit. It was a super tough ticket up there. It is one of the prettiest stadiums in the country, you know, to, to do a game. Um, so that's a big blessing for that crew. If you get assigned to, to App State, especially in the fall, once the, the leaves start changing, it is literally one of the most beautiful places yeah. in the United States. And then you get this incredible game um, and sort of on that same theme, just like, you know, the crew over in Greenville, North Carolina for NC State, East Carolina experience. You know, the this crew got the blessing of just a out of this world, phenomenal, <laughs> wild fourth quarter that makes college football so appealing. Yeah, just a real quick, App State, you know, scores. They go for two. The guy's wide open. The receiver falls. They don't get it. They go for the onside's kick. North Carolina takes the onside kick back for a touchdown, and you feel like, okay, with 30 seconds, that's it. Well, no, the spread was still only an eight-point difference in the game. Uh, and App State end up getting the ball back. They scored the touchdown and were not able to get the two-point play. But at the time of the kickoff return for the touchdown on the onside attempt, that is where the announcer said, okay, once he kicked the extra point, it's now a two-score game and the game is virtually over. You gave a lot of people a chance to flip that channel there. And uh, obviously App State scored to make it 63-61 but could not get the two. Great game itself there though um that leads us to the night portion of uh the college football schedule saturday and our friend bob was had a big game yeah you know and do want to mention there was you know one big game and this is kind of the flip side of what we're talking about uh the georgia oregon game which was you know a highly anticipated matchup number three versus number 11 in the country you know in that 330 slot um sean mcdonough you know, and his crew there, that's the other half of the story. 49 to three, Georgia runs Oregon, you know, out of the building there. And, uh, you know, so there's the other side of the, the coin where, you know, there was these exciting games in one location, yet a blowout in another, even though, you know, it was a big matchup with two ranked teams. And then Utah, Florida, as you mentioned, another um, top 10 team Utah heading into the swamp new coach at Florida all sorts of excitement the swamp was absolutely rocking and Bob Wistrusen who is a you know previous guest here on the program along with Dan Orlovsky and Chris Budden brought us some late game dramatics in that one second and goal four-man rush end zone There you heard just letting it breathe on that interception. Uh, the ball is at the six-yard line. Utah has a chance to win it, and the Gators playing at home, as you can obviously tell, get an interception in the end zone. Yeah, and, and letting it breathe, especially on television and when you know, you've know you got a great 
um, production team behind you. So, you know, with Susan cause the moment, lets it breathe. And then the, the sights and the sounds of the swamp in Gainesville, you know, uh, do the rest of the storytelling and, you know, a, a director's role is then to bring you, you know, the best possible images during that time, you know, to really show the emotion of both teams, show the fan reaction, that kind of thing. And they did a great job there. One note on this game from the radio side, you know, it was the debut of the new Learfield team on the national radio side, Sloan Martin on play-by-play, Mike Golick Jr., as the analyst. So they got things off and running over at Learfield. And then for the Florida Gators radio network, you know, um, we mentioned this at an earlier podcast because some big off season news was Sean Kelly, you know, who's part of the ESPN radio uh, play by play team. Uh, Sean Kelly, now the voice of the Gators taking over the venerable Mick Hubert, who had done it for decades there, you know, so some big, big shoes to fill. And, this was uh, Kelly's debut as the play-by-play voice of the Florida Gators. And what a game <laughs> to have as your very first game as the, the voice of the Gators as Florida wins 29-26 over seventh-ranked Utah. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Say big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in store and on Menards.com. Say big money at Menards. Oh, yep, and then uh, boy, a wild one for the Sugar Bowl kickoff. Joe Tessitore, uh, Greg McElroy, Katie George uh, with that one, and man, uh, Tessitore, who obviously had his run as the Monday night football crew, but probably a little bit better suited for moments like this. Out there in the flat off a mesh or a pick. Let's decide it. Right here in New Orleans, Jaden Daniels. To the end zone. Got it. Jerome Jenkins. There's Joe Testator on the ESPN call there. A touchdown with a chance to tie it. The field goal, to, the extra point to win it gets blocked. Uh, but Joe Testator, of course, did the Monday Night Football. But he he exudes what the college game is. His excitement maybe didn't translate as well to the NFL game. But for that moment there, uh, outstanding. By the way, Joe Testator, a great blow-by-blower as well for uh, the boxing. We're going to have Barry Tompkins coming up here on the podcast today. So, Joe Tessitore in the boxing world as well, but college football, he sounded great. Yeah, absolutely wild finish. Once again, one of those games that you are just blessed to have the chance to call because this thing came down to the wire as much as any game over the weekend. And, you know, this touchdown drive by by LSU, you know, they're you know, they're they're trailing 24-17. They go 99 yards, you know, 11 plays, 99 yards. Um, to you know to to score the touchdown there was a play before that you know where you know there there was a clock issue trying to figure that out also you know you know uh, the player going out of bounds and that kind of thing down near the goal line 
that took forever to sort out. And meanwhile, the drama continues to build in the Superdome. And then Tessator uh, with the call there, you know, um, you know, the touchdown to make it 24-23, extra point opportunity to tie the game. You know, some of the the Monday morning uh, quarterbacks were were saying that LSU should have gone for two. Easy, easy to say after, you know, <laughs> a missed uh, or a blocked extra point to tie it. But, you know, bottom line is what a, a dramatic game and um, just wild stuff there. You know, Florida State, LSU from the Superdome. And Tessator has a history of, you know, it seems like these he somehow is magnetic towards these like wild games and these wild finishes uh, back when he was doing the Friday night game um, on ESPN. And, and I, I believe he, he was doing Thursdays for a while as well. You know, when he was doing those, like it seemed like time and time again, you know, he would get the assignment of the game that just had these wild fireworks and and uh, swings you know, of the pendulum and so forth. So once again, a, a Tessator game. Um, delivers uh, ABC this past Sunday night. Well, that wasn't the only call on that one. Let's get the ESPN radio call. This was what it sounded like on national radio. Mike, Florida State 24, LSU 23. The freshman, Damian Ramos, for the extra point and the biggest kick of his life thus far. The snap is back. The hold is down. The kick is low. It's no good. No good. Florida State has won in New Orleans. The final score, the Seminoles 24 and the Tigers 23. Florida State has rushed the field from the far sideline as coaches run wild hands in the air. Players walk around in disbelief and the LSU field goal unit walks in melancholy sadness over to the near sideline as they fall on the most routine of plays. There you go. That was the uh, national radio call. Mike Cousins, uh, who does a lot of baseball for the national ESPN feed on the college uh, radio call for them on Saturday. Yeah, in a new role here for for Cousins, you know, this was a slot that Sean Kelly, who we mentioned just you know moments ago, who's now the voice of the Gators, um, he would handle this sort of um, number two game most weekends in college football. Mark Kestisher, you know, who's been a guest on the program, is you know that that primary ESPN radio college football announcer. He was over at that Oregon Georgia game, but Cousins in this new role, along with analyst Max Starks, uh, a veteran presence down on the sidelines, Ian Fitzsimmons who's done a ton of these deals as far as being down um, on the sidelines and able to capture all that. But Cousins did a nice job and a good example there of, you know, the difference between national television, national radio, um, you know, now, as far as, you know, and now local, those details. And now local radio. Let, let's get that here. Let's not forget the local radio because this has a story behind it as well. We'll take you to the extra point. And it's a redshirt freshman kicker, Damian Ramos, who might be the most nervous person in the Superdome right now. Roy to snap, Ramlet to hold, to send it to free football. Snap, spot, blocked! Yeah! It's no good! Yeah! It's blocked! Shaheen Brown got his men on it! Fire up the war chant and plant the spear! Those win! Those win! Mike Norvell, you have your signature win! Early on in non-conference play! Shaheen Brown, the hero, the second block kick of the night. Uh, I thought the setup was phenomenal with the freshman kicker maybe being the most nervous guy 
in the building, and then the second block kick of the night. Yeah, that was Jeff Colhane on the Florida State radio call, and very similar to Sean Kelly with the Florida Gators taking over for Mick Hubert, Colhane has huge shoes to fill as well, taking over for Gene Deckeroff, who Deckerhoff had been doing it for decades, all the way back to the 1970s, was the, the voice of the Florida State Seminoles. Um, a, a follower on Twitter astutely pointed out that this was actually the second game for Colhane because uh, Florida State did play in week zero. They played Duquesne in a blowout, if you're watching very carefully in week zero. But uh, again, what a moment for a, a play-by-play announcer. Colhane came from North Dakota State, who's that you know uh, big FCS power completely other side of the country and uh, is able to, to um, deliver here. And what a game to get his career as the voice of the Seminoles underway. Okay. So uh, a look at uh, week one in college football, college football week two uh, will be here this weekend. This is the announcer schedule podcast. Don't forget rate review, subscribe, share, uh, like the show, send questions. We'll try to do our best to answer any listener questions each week, but uh, we generally drop on Thursday on the Sports Media Watch feed. So, uh, Phil, how about a couple thoughts for college football week two? We got some big games uh, this weekend. Yeah, you know, we're taping this week's uh, edition a little earlier than usual, so don't have all the, the pairings organized quite yet. You know, still waiting on on a few announcements here and there. But a few things we do know, I mean, what is remarkable is – going to be the scene in Austin, Texas on Saturday because uh, both Big Noon Kickoff and ESPN Game Day are going to be in the same location in terms of, you know, what city and what stadium they're at. Now, they're, of course, going to be I'm, – I'm not even sure what the setup's going to be exactly as far as who is where and how they're going to, you know, manage the crowds and the sets and all that. This is a Big Noon Kickoff game for Fox – the game itself is on Fox, um, Alabama at Texas, number one Alabama. Uh, everyone knows about Texas's following and, you know, just how huge uh, college football is there, you know, for the Texas Longhorns, one of the biggest fan bases in the country. You know, they have their own network, for goodness sakes, the, the Longhorn Network, um, and they turn out in such a big way. And this is the biggest game to, to arrive in Austin in quite some time. So big noon kickoff, you know, and that whole crew is going to be there for the pre game show on Fox and then ESPN college game day has chosen, you know, and, and, and Hey, I commend them for that because, you know, the one thing about game day, and we talked about this a little bit with the, you know, the, the rights uh, turning over for the big 10 and so forth in future years is they do follow the biggest story, the biggest game. And uh, regardless of what network it might be airing on, but, you know, just wanted to mention that something to look out for, you know, as far as how that's all organized and so forth with the two big networks and their two big pregame shows happening at once. And that's actually the debut for, uh, big noon kickoff. You know, they, they didn't do a show um, at least on site uh, week one. So um, yeah, a lot of anticipation for that one. And then, you know, the late ABC game is 
on um, the West Coast, USC at Stanford. That's the 7.30 p.m. starting. And, um, you know, as of this taping, I'm not exactly sure who, who's going to be calling that. You know, Chris Fowler's got U.S. Open duties. Um, so we'll see exactly how that one works itself out. Uh, certainly by the time this podcast drops, I'm, I'm sure that news will be there and we'll be sure to let everybody know on the Twitter feed. Yeah, real quick, uh, you mentioned um, uh, Chris Fowler was the, uh, the U.S. Open uh, he did not do the Serena on Friday night, and uh, I was interested in your thoughts on that because uh, you had the two McEnroe brothers and Mary Jo Fernandez, who, by the way, I thought Mary Jo Fernandez did a very good job in talking to Serena. Not an easy situation at the end. It was kind of a weird moment. Her career ends. She didn't win. I thought uh, she did a really good job with the winner um, who had to kind of sit there and just wait her turn. Um, and uh, But no Chris Fowler that night. Yeah, so Chris Fowler was on the road for his, you know, first college football assignment. Fowler, Herb Street, Holly Rowe had that huge Notre Dame Ohio State game on Saturday. So this was a Friday night and Fowler was already on route to uh that game, Ohio State Notre Dame. Meanwhile, Patrick McEnroe, John McEnroe and, and Mary Joe Fernandez as you mentioned handled this huge Serena, you know, match on Friday night you know, with the whole world uh, seemingly <laughs> watching that one. And, you know, the question came up uh, these last couple podcasts from a from a listener, you know, play by play announcers who also are in the analyst role or vice versa, you know, analysts, people you consider mainly analysts who can also handle play by play. And one name that eluded us, you know, that came into focus this past Friday night is Patrick McEnroe and very kind of interesting as far as you know how he goes you know a lot of times he's in that that analyst role sometimes alongside his brother John McEnroe you know where the two of them are the analysts and then you know he can also handle the play-by-play and so Patrick McEnroe was on the play-by-play call for the Serena match John McEnroe was his analyst Mary Jo Fernandez was the analyst for the majority of the match I think she left um, to make sure she got, you know, down there on the court to be able to interview Serena successfully, you know, before that final call. Uh, however, you know, it was really uh, cool to kind of look at it from this perspective. And McEnroe, Patrick McEnroe, is excellent at at play-by-play. You know, he he's as good at play-by-play as I think he is as, a, as an analyst. And, you know, that was just a, a, a great call on Friday night. And what an environment. And you mentioned Mary Jo Fernandez. That is a tough assignment. You know, <laughs> you know, emotions can go all sorts of directions down there. You're not only, uh, you know, broadcasting to the, you know, network TV audience, but it's also being piped through the, the stadium there on the stadium PA, uh, which can always be a challenge. And, you know, Mary Jo Fernandez, um, she actually grew up uh, not too far from me down in the, the Miami area. You know, uh, Carrollton High School is where she's she's from, an all-girls school down there uh, in, in Miami. And uh, she's had a wonderful career, not just as a player, but also as a broadcaster. All right. Uh, with that, uh, that's a look at all the college football and everything. Uh, We're going to bring Barry Tompkins into the conversation here. Before we bring Barry in, let's set him up. Uh, Let's take us back, man, 1990. Uh, We'll get you kind of warmed up for Barry and some great stories uh, with this right here uh, from uh, the great John Saunders. The running Rebels are ranked number two in the nation as they try and wrap up yet another Big West title. They are 14-1 in conference, but they're at UC Santa Barbara. Let's go to Barry Tompkins and Quinn Buckner. 
Well, thank you, John Sanders. And it wasn't about 10 hours ago that the running Rebels of Las Vegas woke up as the number two ranked team in America. And what do they get for that? They get to be a three-point underdog tonight in Santa Barbara. Let's take a look at the standings in the Big West Conference, which has become a very tough and a very competitive conference. They have high hopes of sending three teams into the NCAA tournament. UNLV is a lock no matter what happens tonight. No question about it. New Mexico State surprise team in this conference, 14-2, just a half game behind the running Rebels. And UCSB and Long Beach, they feel one of those two teams is going to go to the tournament. Needless to say, Santa Barbara would have a big leg up if they were to win this one tonight on national television. Hello, everybody. Barry Tompkins along with Quinn Buckner. And Quinn, kind of a mixed blessing, if you will, for the Gauchos. Yes, they get them here at the Thunderdome, and this is a very tough place for a visiting team to play. But they also get the Rebels at their very best. They are really on top of their game right now. Well, they do, Barry. They get the Rebels at their best, but they also know that when they played the Rebels on the 25th of January, they only lost by two points. They've got to feel that their chances are better playing here at home. All right, our guest this week on the announcer schedule podcast, Phil. We're very excited, you know, uh, just to kind of peel the curtain back a little bit. Uh, I had gotten an email uh, regarding Barry Tompkins, the Hall of Fame play-by-player, and uh, he's going to be in my hometown of Atlantic City this weekend. So when I text Phil, you know, we go back and forth for different guests for the podcast, and uh, we know football's this weekend, NFL. I said, hey, I got an opportunity to talk to Barry Tompkins. Are you interested? And he wrote back, wow, uh, of course. So we have him right here, Barry Tompkins, and he's going to be in Atlantic City Showbox, the new generation, Friday night, September the 9th, live on Showtime. It's the longest-running boxing continuous series going. 9 o'clock at Bally's Atlantic City, right here in my hometown. Barry Tompkins, welcome to the Announcer Schedule podcast. Uh, it's great to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, give us a little background um, on the show box. And, you know, obviously, uh, boxing is how many of us know you. We're going to get into some of your other uh, career paths as well. But show box is still going, and uh, your voice synonymous with boxing for many people listening. Well, I appreciate that. And show box, you know, it's probably, just in terms of, of sheer having fun, it's probably the most fun I've ever had doing television sports. Uh, and one of the reasons is that even though I've done some really you know, big and important fights, what I really like about this series is that we get to see guys on their way up who are trying to make that, that step from prospect to contender. You know? and, and what I like about this series is that almost every fight we do, obviously there are exceptions, but almost every fight we do, uh, you don't, I can't really go into a fight saying, this person's going to win. There's always some question. I can always make a case for the B side of the card winning that particular fight. And that's what I really like about the series. That's the mission of Showbox. And it's been going on for 22 years now. So, you know, obviously the show, and I've only been there for 11 of it, but, uh, but the show speaks for itself. You know, that it's longevity speaks to the quality of, of, uh, fighter that we have on the air and and the the matchups between the two fighters barry you mentioned big important fights and it can't help me but thinking back to november 12th 1982 at the orange bowl in miami i grew up in miami and i remember hearing about this one how the, the orange bowl was absolutely rocking for alexis arguello in aaron Pryor. Can you reflect back on that one, you know, back in, you know, down memory lane, prior Arguello? 
My whole life is down memory lane. Yeah, <laughs> uh, um, yeah I, that, I mean, I, I will tell anybody who asked me, that was the most exciting fight I've ever done. And for several reasons, <clears throat> pardon me, it wasn't just about the fight itself. It was about the whole atmosphere of the fight leading up to the fight. And, it, for instance, was it was a matchup of an inner-city African-American guy against a, a really a, a Hispanic folk hero uh, in Alexis Arguello. But what was particularly interesting about it is, of course, the fight was in South Florida, uh, a very large Hispanic population. But at that time, there was a civil war going on in Nicaragua. And uh, Arguello supported, I, it was the Contras and the Sandinistas. And I, quite honestly, I can't remember which side he supported, but he, he was strongly and financially involved in one, one of the two sides of the Civil War. And, of course, in, in Miami, that in itself was, was a problem because you had both sides there, you know. And so it was going to be a volatile situation, and these two guys couldn't have been more could not have been more different in who they are and what they are and what they bring to the dance. And uh, so they had decided early on that they they weren't – there was originally supposed to be fireworks before, and they weren't going to do that because they were really worried about, you know, somebody firing a gun someplace. And they decided to eliminate the anthems altogether because that could have been a problem too amongst – supporters of either side of the Nicaraguan Civil War. So it made it a volatile situation to begin with. And and one of the things, speaking to that, they, they of course, did do the fireworks. Somebody did the fireworks. I don't think they were authorized anyway. And we had just come on the air at that time. So the entire stadium was dark except for one light, and that light was on me. Uh, and all of a sudden the fireworks go, go off, and I'm thinking – you know, if it's a shooter someplace, they don't have any place to aim except at that light, you know, and I'm standing in front of it. So, you know, that was racing through my mind while we're trying to do the open of the show. And then, of course, the fight itself was a monumental, an epic fight, probably, arguably the best, most action-packed fight I've ever done in my life. Uh, and speaking to that, neither fighter was ever the same after that fight, even in their return match. So it was special from a lot of different viewpoints. And uh, I remember coming out of out of that fight and just, you know, I could barely talk and barely, it was just, it, it took every emotion out of you. Uh, and in the end, Ar- Arguello, uh, you know, got hurt, had to go to the hospital. And as I said, it was never the same after that. So that, that fight was, was a real experience. And in terms of all the fights I've done over the course of my career, it stands out probably more than any other. Uh, amazing, Barry. And just that era of boxing, you know, uh, and the fact that you were at so many of these big ones, you know, Sugar Ray Leonard, Hagler, Hearns, Mike Tyson, Hector Macho Camacho. I mean, the, the personalities that, you know, just the, the gravity of the boxing scene in the 80s, and you were there for so much of it. You know, what comes to mind when I just mentioned that era of boxing? Luck is what comes to mind. You know, it's my, in fact, my entire career has been built on standing in the right place at the right time. But, uh, yeah, I feel so fortunate to have uh, not only been around in that time, but to have done those fights, I happened to, you know, luck out with getting a gig at HBO right almost when they were starting, and they had all the great fights of that whole era. 
Um, so it was an un- unbelievable opportunity for me. And, you know, it was one great fight after another. I mean, we did probably, I, I, I would say, seven or eight fights a year, maybe ten fights a year. And every one of them was, you know, could be described as almost an epic fight. At the very least, there were at least a couple a year that are fights that people to this day still talk about. Uh, unbelievable stuff with Barry Tompkins here. You know, I, I, as I'm listening to you talk, I, I'm 45 years old. I hear, and we have a new era in boxing ringing in my head, of course, when Mike Tyson uh, knocked out Trevor Burbeck. That was kind of uh, the moment right. for me uh, that I became a boxing fan and uh, still enjoy that. And, of course, I'm in the Atlantic City area, which is kind of synonymous with Philadelphia, and many of our Philadelphia listeners to this podcast will recognize Barry's voice uh, in Rocky Four, tell us a little bit about how you got selected uh, to be the voice of Rocky Four, because you, Barry, probably know how popular a figure Rocky is in this region. Oh, absolutely, and and in fact, you could say nationally. It's it, it, that again. I, as I mentioned to you earlier, my my whole career is based on being in the right place at the right time on four or five different occasions. And, and, and that was one that really was a fluke. Interestingly enough, more, more people ask me about that than any fight I've ever done or any show I've ever done in any sport. Uh, I get asked about the Rocky movie more than anything else. Um, and it's, it just happened that I had two weeks off and an agent called me. It wasn't even my agent. It was a friend of mine agent. Um, who actually is a baseball guy, Steve Fiziak, who does the Kansas City Royals. It was his agent that called me. They had asked him to do it originally, and he couldn't do it. It was the middle of baseball season. So he said, hey, Barry's a boxing guy. Call Barry. We're friends. So his agent called me, and I just happened to have two weeks off, which at that time in my career was really unusual. I rarely had two weeks without a show. And uh, so I thought, well, you know, it'll be an interesting thing to do. And I've never been around you know, the motion picture industry or actors or actresses or anything like that it was completely foreign to me. So I thought, well, you know, it'll be it'll be something different. And uh, and it was something different, something I hated. You know, I'm used to, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm born to live television, you know, and the red light goes on. You start talking. The red light goes off. You say goodnight. Whereas in the movie industry, as you know, um, you know, it's take after take after take after take after take. So it took two weeks to do that 18-minute scene. Um, and after about three days, and he had to be there, you know, probably 12 hours a day. And because we were in the front row supposedly calling the fight, you know, you couldn't read a book or you couldn't do a crossword play. You couldn't do anything. Uh, so you had to just sit there all day long. And it was supposed to be compounded. It was supposed to be winter in Moscow, and where we did it, it was summer in Vancouver, British Columbia. (laughs) So, you know, so it was – you had to look like you were in winter conditions, and it was 90 degrees outside. So uh, I I hated every minute of it, to be really honest with you, because I thought, oh, my God, you know, why can't these people do this in one or two takes, you know? Um, So I I wound up having great respect for some actors – and no respect for others. Uh, I won't bore you with one scene, but there was one scene that went on. They did 32 takes of it. And the reason they had to do 32 takes is, I'll tell you who it was, it was Bridget Nielsen, who played the part of Elon Drago's wife. And it was it was a scene where 
the the Russian manager had to come up on the ring apron and he did this diatribe uh, to his to his fighter. It was all in Russian, and the guy didn't speak Russian. He was an actor, you know, character actor. You've seen him a million times. I don't know his name. Thirty-two takes, and his he did it perfectly every time. It was about forty-five seconds. She stood up in the audience, and her line was "yet." She she booted "yet" thirty-two times. You know, I, I'm telling you, if there was a sharp object near me, I'd have I'd have done done myself in. You know, it was. I mean, it was just why am I here? What am I doing here? Uh, so uh, the upshot of it all was the way they edited the piece. Uh, I wound up being a principal. I don't know how all those union things work, but I wound up being a principal. So the money that I made for the two weeks of time I spent there, which was not very much, compounded several times, several hundred times actually over uh, over the course of time. I still get checks nice. for Rocky Forums 32 years ago. Wow. So I hated the experience, but I love the end result. Well, real quick on that, I, I always wondered this for a, a, a role like that. Because you're a play-by-player and you're just used to calling live action, did they just have you call it as you saw it, or did you have a script of what to call? Now, you know, that's a, that's a very interesting question, and, uh, and I hope I have an interesting answer. What Stallone told I, I had great respect <clears throat> excuse me, for Sylvester Stallone. I mean, he really not only understood the part that he was playing, he understood the whole production and the whole how things worked, you know. And what he what he told me is uh, to to, uh, to back up a little bit. No, there was no script. Um, what he told me was do what you would normally do in, when you're calling a fight, but go 25 percent over the top. You know, and that's exactly what I did. And we did it in actually the first take was good, but we we did you know what they would call a safety. We did a second take, and he said that's fine, that's great. You know, uh, but I did exactly what he told me. So it was, yes, it was calling the fight in the same way that you would normally call a fight. But normally, and it's not my style to really get hysterical over something, you know. Um, I mean, obviously, I think I can bring the drama to it, but not just get hysterical. But this was get hysterical, you know, and and hysterical over things that you wouldn't normally get hysterical over. So his direction really made it very easy for me, and I, I came away from there with, Really great respect for Sylvester Stallone. Barry, you, me- you mentioned right place, right time, you know, throughout your career. But, you know, the career had to start somewhere. And, you know, we love exploring sort of the origin stories of our, our guests here on the Announcer Schedules podcast. You're from San Francisco originally. Can you tell us how you got started in the business? Yeah. Yes, a fluke. <laughs> you know? More luck. I, I, I actually, More luck for Barry. Well, Yeah. I mean, I, I hate to say that. I'd like to tell you it was sheer talent that I just was better than anybody else, and that's absolutely wrong. You know, um, I, I, I'm going to try to paraphrase it because it's kind of a long story, but I was working at a radio station, and I was hired there. I, I started – I was always a writer, and I started as a, uh, in advertising as a copywriter. And I hated – I wound up hating the advertising business, and so – I got hired by KPIX, uh, I'm sorry, KCBS Radio in San Francisco uh, as promotions director. So I was writing on-air promos, you know. And uh, at that time, I was a huge sports fan. So I, the sports director there used to do three or four commentaries every day. So I 
got in his face almost from the day I got there, telling him how, how what a big sports fan I was and how that's really what I wanted to do. And can I write your commentaries for you, or at least write a couple of commentaries? I, you know, I'm a writer. I know how to do that. I can do all that kind of stuff. And I, I think I was just his grill so much that he finally hired me just to get me out of his face, you know. <laughs> and uh, and subsequent to that, so he, you know, he taught me really. His name was Don Klein. He's gone now, but he uh, he. Basically, everything I do today, I learned from, from him. Um, and I got into television on an absolute fluke, and it came after the general manager at KCBS said, you're never going to make it in radio because you don't have a voice for it. So I knew I was about to lose my job in radio, and I have to be at lunch in San Francisco with a guy named Hank Greenwald. I, I doubt is too familiar to you, but... He did the Giants, and he did the Warriors, and in fact, for a year or two, he did the New York Yankees. He was mostly a baseball guy. And uh, and Franklin Muley, who at that time was the owner of the Golden State Warriors. And uh, and Hank told me, hey, I just turned down a job at KPIX Television. Uh, he was a real radio guy. He hated television. He said, why don't you call this guy? He gave me the program director's number, and I went back to my office, and I called the guy, and he said, when can you come over? And I said, well, I get off of work at whatever time it was, and he said, okay, come over then. So that very day, same day I had lunch, I went over to the program director at KPIX, and he was a young guy, uh, another guy that was going to reinvent television, which we've seen, I don't know how many hundred times. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> And he... Uh, he said, do you have anything you could read? And I happened to have a commentary that I'd written for Don Klein in my briefcase. And so I said, yeah, I've got this. I wrote it for Don. He said, read it. And I read the commentary, and he said, okay, three shows a day, $18,000 a year, and that tripled my salary. <laughs> and that's how I got into television. My first night on the air in television it was the first time I'd ever been inside a television station. Outstanding, Barry, and you know the the rest is history, no doubt about it. But I had to share with you one thing. You know, back in 1990, I was an 18 year old version of myself. I was at the University of Florida in Gainesville, and I would stay up late every Monday night for Big Monday on ESPN. You know, Big East, Big uh, Ten, yeah. and then a Big West game late. That you yeah. know, you were so often on the call, and it, you know, being on the East Coast, you know, there was sort of like this dreamy feeling about it all. That I was up that late watching college hoops, and in the these University locations. Florida, if you were at the University of Florida, I suspect most of your life was dreamy. You know? <laughs> Good point, but uh, but yeah, you know, to see my, these locations. My wife went to the University of Florida, so. <laughs> That's right. So you're well aware. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean, it was just so, so endearing to me that, you know, that college basketball was being played in these cool venues, you know, out west in the the big west. Plus, UNLV was at, you know, the height of their powers. And we, we actually played a clip earlier in our, our program, a UNLV UC um, uh, UCSB game where there was a yeah. big upset. Can you reflect back just on the, those big west games and, you know, that sort of moment in time? Yeah, and, and you said it. I mean, UNLV was—they were the real deal. That was during the time they won national championships. But you mentioned UCSB, Santa Barbara, and they were almost as good. In fact, they—they they beat at their place. They beat UNLV almost every time. They were really good at that time, and um, and so that and we wound up doing, you know, a home and home almost every year because that was the biggest game and what was then. I don't even know if it was the Big West. I want to say it was. It had another name, but um, but yeah, those were 
they were high energy games. And at that time, all New Mexico state was in that conference. They were very good. They won 25 or 30 games every year. Um, Utah state was very good. Um, so it was a great conference and, and it was a, it was a ton of fun. And we knew frankly, because I think we started, if I'm not mistaken, at like nine o'clock Pacific. So it would have been midnight in Florida. And we knew a lot of our audience was 18 year old people like yourself, college students who were, you know, been up all night, you know, and, uh, and I think we played to that a lot. Uh, so it was great fun. I really, I really did enjoy doing those games because they were, they were sellouts and people would line, especially at places like New Mexico state, people would start lining up for tickets at noon. And by the time tip off came, everybody in the place was just crazed, you know, and not to mention drunk, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, so it, there was a real a real atmosphere, and it was really a lot of fun to do those games. You know, I spent 35 years. I mean, I'm a West Coast guy, although I spent six years in New York, but um, but I'm a West Coast guy, so I I've always been partial to you know the Pac-12 conference, which I did for 35 years in both football and basketball, and uh, and doing those games for ESPN. When I was at ESPN, you know. They, I did all a lot of West Coast Conference games, West Coast Conference, Pac-12, and what was that? I want to say it was the PCAA or something like that, Pacific Coast Conference. I can't remember, but um, but yeah, I've I've uh, I've done a ton of stuff out there, and that was those games are one of the highlights, really. Uh, Barry Tompkins, uh, Showbox, the New Generation, back Friday night, September the ninth. Live on Showtime at 9 o'clock from Bally's Atlantic City Hotel and Casino. I guess I selfishly asked you, Barry, since I am from Atlantic City, uh, which has not had uh, a major fight back here in some time. I mean, we've kind of lost the fights in this city, but um, I'm sure you have been here plenty of times. What made or makes Atlantic City uh, such a cool boxing town uh, from back in the day. It was great here uh, growing up when these fights were here all the time. Mike Tyson was here and Evander Holyfield and Foreman, and we had uh, Gotti, those fights, the trilogy with Mickey Ward. Uh, we had some great ones here. What made Atlantic City such a great fight town? Yeah, you know, I wish I had the answer for you. I'm not, I'm not really sure what the secret ingredient was. I can tell you it's not there anymore. Um, you know, and it's I, I don't know. I don't really. I, I think the casinos in Connecticut probably heard it, you know, because I think people from New York now go to Connecticut rather than come to to Atlantic City. So, you know, predominantly it's people from Philadelphia or that part of New Jersey, you know, who who go to these things. And it's a lot of bus tours. And I always found it, quite frankly, um, to be a pretty depressing place because because of all the all the bus tours, you know, people would come there with twenty or thirty or fifty dollars in their pocket and they'd lose it in ten minutes and they'd sit around the rest of the day, you know, <laughs> sucking on ice cubes, you know, and because the bus didn't leave until ten o'clock that night or whatever it was. So, I it frankly, and I, I here I am dissing your hometown and I apologize for it. But, <laughs> no, we're well aware. Uh, we're we're sad always- that the fights aren't here. Uh, we wish there were more. Where we always get excited when we get something. Uh, back in the town, you know, it, it is sad that uh, it's kind of fallen apart to this uh, to this nature because it was such a great. As I mentioned, I mean, I, I saw so many great fights here growing up. Yeah, there were a lot of great fights. We were there all the time, especially when I was when I was at ESPN. It seemed like we were there every other week, and and for somebody from the West Coast, it's a very difficult place to get to. 
you know, they're going to fly Philadelphia, and then it's an hour and a half or hour and 20 minutes or whatever it is drive. And if you go in traffic or in the wintertime when there's snow, it could be three hours, <laughs> you know. So it was just getting there for from the West Coast was a difficult task, you know. And then to make it worse, going back, uh, the only nonstop flight to San Francisco at that time was at 6 o'clock in the morning. So you don't get off the air until midnight. And and you got now you got to make that hour and a half drive the next morning or that night, and your flight's at six o'clock. So, it it was it was always a tough place for a West Coast guy, but um, but there were some great fights there. Yeah, and you know it's, I've always said it's the kind of place, and there are others like it. Once you're there, it's great. Well, Barry, uh, you've done it all, man. The Hall of Fame boxing voice, college basketball, football, French Open. Uh, many other tennis tournaments, track, field, swimming, diving, gymnastics. You've been on just about every network, uh, networks that are gone, and now uh, the the WAC, the Mountain West, Fox, ESPN. You portrayed USA. I don't know that you you said luck. You might be the luckiest guy we've ever had on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, and I'm out of networks, you know, so maybe it's time to retire. I don't know. And by the way, how many people remember Barry – uh, the HBO show, Phil, Race for the Pennant. Barry was a co-host on that baseball program. That's right. Yeah, with, with your ex-Philly, Tim McCarver. That's right. How about that? A little yeah. HBO taking us back. Bob Gibson, uh, I think, was uh, Len Berman, too, uh, might have made an appearance on their show. There you go. We spanned it all with Barry Tompkins. <laughs> uh, Atlantic City this weekend, boxing fans, check that out. Showbox the next generation. Boxing seems to be making a little bit of a revival, and Showbox, the longest-running continuous boxing series out there. And here is the voice, Barry Tompkins. Barry, we appreciate having you on so much. We appreciate all your time. Absolute pleasure. Mike, Phil, great to be with you guys. Okay. Thank you, Barry. There is Barry Tompkins, Phil, and we appreciate him jumping on board uh, this week's edition of the announcer schedule podcast. What do we think? We th- we got it all. I mean, he hated Rocky, he hates Atlantic City, but he loves everything else. No, it was a phenomenal conversation. I thoroughly enjoyed listening to those stories. Phenomenal, no doubt about it. I mean, um, it's so many huge moments that he's called over the years, and not to mention that that college basketball side of things. He's one of my all time favorites. There's no doubt about it, and it's. You know, I'm not a huge boxing fan. I was back in the day, you know, in terms of, you know, back in the 80s and 90s when he was calling those. So there is some nostalgia there for me. But it's it's truly the the basketball that I relate him to the most just because I was so loyal to those late night games um, during my college years watching those, those matchups from out west. And, you know, it kind of gave me this sort of um, – you know, uh, love of, of all things California. Like, I, I always kind of wanted to go out there and visit these places that he would be broadcasting from. They seem like just, you know, the, the, the other side of, you know, the country, obviously, but just, you know, a whole different world culturally and all that. And he, he was just so smooth with it all. You know, we played that clip earlier with, with him and, and Quinn Buckner. And, yeah, I mean, what a interview. What a, what a uh, you know, the storytelling he has, the, the, the you know, the, the humility of it all, you know, considering all the places that he's been. And, you know, just thoroughly enjoy that and, and can't thank Barry uh, enough for, for joining us today. You mentioned uh, the fight prior Aguayo uh, back in 82. Let's uh, just kind of bring our listeners just to kind of get a, a sense, uh, a feel of Barry Tompkins on that call. Aaron Pryor has been known to charge. 
charge out at the opening bell. Round one. Parra with the first punch. He scores with the right hand. Up tempo right from the opening bell. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if someone gets knocked down in the first round. Parra, perpetual motion. He is right on top of Arguello, who gets off the ropes. Crowd already starting to cheer. Arguello with the right hand that scores on Parra, whose legs buckle for a moment. Parra seems to be hurt. Alex went to the body and was able to hurt Pryor for a while, which is exactly what Larry Merchant was just mentioning. Okay, uh, just a little insight there, just to give you a little bit of the sound, the feel of the energy in that fight. He also called the Hearns-Hagler, which is some regard as the greatest round in the history of boxing. So uh, Barry has done all he said. He's still recognized more for Rocky IV, though, than anything else. Yeah, Rocky IV, you know, 1985, his his big acting debut. And, yeah, I remember that one, again, like kind of aging myself. But I was I was 13 years old, and I remember going, I think, on, on opening night to the, the theater with the bro- my brother um, and seeing Rocky IV. And, you know, the fact that Barry, you know, had a big role in that one as the USA Network sportcaster. Very cool. And, and wow, what some serious backstories as far as, you know, how that works in terms of Hollywood. All right, uh, we got a couple other notes we want to touch on before we get out of here today. Thanks again, uh, Barry Tompkins. Uh, this is the Announcer Schedule podcast. Rate, review, subscribe, like, get it all out there uh, on the Sports Media Watch feed. Don't forget Greg Gumble, this week's guest on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know with George Offman and uh, the guys will have all the ratings and uh, reviews on all this week's uh, college football on the Sports Media Watch podcast. That's TJ and John Lewis. Uh, thoroughly enjoy uh, listening to them, and uh, they're actually uh, incorporating some more interviews in there as well, so you can start to hear some of their stuff on Wednesdays. We generally drop on Thursdays here on the Sports Media Watch feed. Let's uh, MLB, let's quickly get into that. MLB on Fox this Saturday. We had our friend Kevin Kugler. Yeah, the, this past Saturday, um, Kevin Kugler had one of the games uh, along with Tom Verducci. And then, you know, the other game um, the, was broadcast by Corey Provis, who's a you know twins announcer, and he actually got the, the national assignment there. So kind of interesting as far as Kugler and Provis uh, both getting, um, you know, the, the national MLB on Fox games. You know, um, again, like we, I kind of touched on this before on an earlier episode if you're in Joe Davis's shoes, you know, you're the number one Fox uh, baseball uh, play-by-play announcer. However, you've also got now uh, the NFL right around the corner to manage and then also Dodgers television. And I'd imagine his contract with Dodgers television equals a certain number of games that he has to fulfill despite all of his other obligations. And perhaps this is a scenario where, you know, he's able to get in a, a, another Dodger series um, before things really get busy. Um, so that was interesting as far as Fox on MLB this past Saturday. And, you know, uh, we had Roxy Bernstein on the show a couple weeks ago. He continues to, to get a bunch of these ESPN radio assignments, including a big Padres-Dodgers game this past weekend. Okay. Uh, and then uh, we got the uh, U.S. Open uh, we we talked about Patrick McEnroe, John McEnroe, Mary Jo. We we touched on that, um, and then uh, let's see what's going on locally. Uh, what is happening in your neck of the woods, Miami? Yeah, so Miami, my my original home, still keep a really close eye on on things down there. And you know, this past week we touched on this last week as well. Uh, was the 
first game of the season for the Miami Hurricanes. Uh, really a lot of excitement down there with the new coach, Mario Cristobal, and a homecoming for George Sedano. Uh, happy birthday to George. He actually celebrated his birthday that weekend as well, was able to get back home in the 305 and enjoy uh, friends and family and all that. But, you know, he was able to make his debut in his new role, which is play-by-play as part of the ESPN and ACC network packages. Uh, he handled play-by-play there, uh, did a nice job. You know, you, you kind of mentioned it earlier when, when you were talking about Riddick, you know, there when you have such close ties to a – uh, program or to a hometown or to an alma mater, you know, you certainly have to be um, mindful of that when you're calling a game for a, a national audience. And I think uh, George did a great job there. Do want to give a shout out. Also, there's a new post game um, radio show with some real veterans who know the Miami Hurricanes as, as well as anybody. Dave Lamont, who's a, who's a good friend who I've worked with for for many many years. Uh, a lot of folks may remember him from ESPN. Uh, he also was you know part of the Miami Heat broadcast for years, part of the Miami Hurricanes broadcast for years. He dates all the way back to the Howard Schnellenberger uh, days when he was a student broadcaster. He knows Canes football as well as anybody. He and uh, another voice, Bruce Warner, are doing a show on Kane Sport Radio with Gary Furman. So just wanted to give them a shout out if you want to seek that out if you're a Canes fan. And then the Dolphins play this weekend. Uh, Greg Gumble, Adam Archuleta, AJ Ross uh, will get the assignment. We mentioned Gumble, you know, um, you know, guest this week on the Sports Media Podcast feed. Uh, Patriots, Dolphins getting things going week one of the NFL. And Greg Gumble will be down there at uh, Hard Rock Stadium. All right, uh, here locally. I mentioned a little earlier, I'll bring it back, no McCarthy this weekend for the uh, Phillies. That means uh, usually Greg Murphy fills in uh, in some capacity, television, or he goes to radio and Scott Fransky. Generally, he'll do the TV, though. So in the Phillies game, because Tom McCarthy, the regular Phillies play-by-player, he is going to be on CBS uh, for the NFL this weekend. So you start to get to that time of the year where some of these uh, local guys are on the networks for football, and you'll start to hear a couple of backup voices. You don't hear that too often. I mean, I don't know, uh, around the country, Phil, how often, you know, where the main play-by-player gets a day off and you hear that other voice for for a little bit, it is a little bit of an eye-opening thing, and it doesn't happen often. Yeah, a bit of adjustment for sure for the for, you know for the the loyal listeners, but also a, a big opportunity for that that announcer that's able to step into that role. Hey, one last mention. I just want to mention one more thing on Greg Gumble. You know, a lot of people I I don't think may even realize this, um, but Gumble is a resident of South Florida. You know, he's lived down there for a while, and it kind of does so. I mean. I, I never really saw him much in, in, in public when I was down there all those years, but he lives down in, in South Florida in Broward County in the Fort Lauderdale area. So a very short commute for him uh, for the Dolphins game this weekend. Yes. And uh, by the way, we mentioned this last week, but just to kind of bring it back, because it does have some national uh, Ron Jaworski, former Monday night football. He will be pre and post game for Eagles games on NBC sports, Philadelphia this year. That's going to be his new role. So people who, Wondering, whatever happened to Jaworski, uh, he'll be back locally here in the Philly market on NBC Sports Philadelphia. Scott Hansen and that crew will be back uh, for Red Zone, right? Uh, Scott Hansen's a Philly, uh, used to work at what was then Comcast Sportsnet Philadelphia. And uh, he is the uh, Red Zone, at least on one of the outlets, Direct TV, I guess, right? No, he's on the cable side or NFL I mean- Network. Believe it or not, I I don't watch that 
program. I don't either, but yeah. I know Scott yeah. Hansen because he has some Philly ties. Uh, I uh, they have the one that's on Direct TV, and then the other one is the is the cable feed. There's two different ones. Uh, Andrew Siciliano, I believe, does the Direct TV version. Scott Hansen does the cable version. That sounds right. Yep. All right. So with that. Uh, where will we be? Mike and Phil's Excellent Adventures. What do you have going on this weekend? Well, um, first, I just want to reflect back to this past weekend. You know, I, I mentioned it last show. I had a very interesting assignment, which was doing a, you know, a late night game um, for Fox Sports 1 as a talent statistician. We did the Cal Poly uh, Fresno State game back on Thursday night. I worked with Eric Collins as the play-by-play announcer, Devin Gardner. The former Michigan quarterback was the analyst, and you know we were, we were able to successfully execute that show. So that that felt good to get that um, you know um, off and running. And then this past weekend, I called you know locally here, uh, Brevard College, you know where I'm actually um, recording this from at the moment. We had our opening football game, NCAA Division Three football. Brevard versus Shorter, so I was able to handle play-by-play for that. And then looking ahead, I'll uh, be doing another Fox Sports 1 game if you want to check us out uh, this weekend. Duke Northwestern, again, with Eric Collins and Devin Gardner on the call. So you want to check out that game. uh, I'll be handling the the numbers for that one. And, yeah, we're off and running with football, Mike. I know know yourself, me, TJ, you name it, anybody, you know, kind of in this business, uh, this is as busy as it comes. Yep, I obviously have the radio show 2 to 6 weekdays on 97.3 ESPN. You can download the app and listen to me there if you want to kind of hear uh, the Philly market, uh, what's going on with the Eagles, the NFL, Phillies, all that kind of stuff. I do it every day. Uh, My football schedule is a little flux right now because I get off the air at 6, and a lot of the games are at 6 o'clock in this area. The game times used to be 7. They moved them to 6. And uh, that has kind of uh, messed my schedule up a little bit with calling games. So I was supposed to call two games this weekend. Both games are times that uh, I'm on the air. So we're trying to figure out ways that I can get around that. So when that happens, you can follow me at Mike Gill Show. And uh, I'll let you know uh, where I'll be and what I'm up to. And, of course, here we'll be back next week for Episode 15. But this is Episode 14 in the books. I think we wrapped a whole heck of a lot in there. Barry Tompkins was our guest Uh, Rate, review, subscribe, and uh, make sure if you have questions at Announcer Skeds. uh, We always love answering uh, listener questions and uh, pop them in there. We'll we'll, uh, try to touch touch on them each week here. All right, Phil. So uh, that's about it for us. Episode 14 in the books. Have a great NFL week one. We will be back next week right here on the Announcer Schedules podcast. For Phil, I'm Mike. Have a great week, everybody. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place 
to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.